Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello, fabulous people of the Take On Board community. I would love it if you could join me at the next Take On Board event, where I'll be in conversation with Morgana Ryan about developing strategy. You'll get some fabulous tips as well as get to meet others from the Take On Board community. It's a virtual event, so you can come from wherever you are in the world. Early bird tickets are on sale until the 7th of May, so get in as soon as you can. The link to book is in the show notes. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Eleni Poulos about her accidental journey to the boardroom. First, let me tell you about Eleni, or in fact, I should say the Reverend Dr. Eleni Poulos. Eleni is on the boards of Uniting New South Wales ACT and the Australian National Development Index, ANDI. She was previously on the boards of ACOS, the Australian Council of Social Services, Act for Peace and the Church's Refugee Task Force. She's got more than 20 years' experience working in public policy, advocacy and government relations in the not-for-profit sector. She's an ordained minister in the Uniting Church and now has her PhD in politics. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Delaney. Thanks, Helia. It's great to be here. It's so exciting to have you on. So we first met when I was, at the time, the CEO of Hotham Mission Asylum Seeker Project and you were Uniting Justice and we've managed to kind of interact in various different ways. Like we're both now on the Greenpeace General Assembly and here we are sitting in the Institute of Company Directors meeting room in Sydney whilst I'm up here for the conference having this fabulous conversation. So thanks for being open to it. Oh, it's just great. I'm very excited to get the call. (laughs) (laughs) So as always, before we dig into your accidental journey, let's dig a little bit deeper about you. Tell me, what was your earliest experience of governance? I found myself on the board of the Australian National Committee for Refugee Women. That was 1996. And I had, for a couple of years before that, got very interested in refugee issues and refugee policy in Australia. And I was a bit upset about what was happening. And I met some people and ended up on this committee, which was 
a very grassroots committee at the time. It was made up of people like me who were wanting to make life better for refugees, particularly refugee women Mm -hmm. in Australia and asylum seeker women, and made up also of refugee women themselves. Mm -hmm. So that was my earliest experience, working with an incredible group of women to you know, draw from their own experiences and to make a difference in the lives of others. A very grassroots, very very meaningful, fascinating place to be. Oh. And look, we may well delve into this as part of your you know accidental journey. But you said I got involved, I met some people, and then I'm on the board. So what, what happened in there? How did that actually happen? Um. Pretty much as I said. Just like that, right. So, no, I had, um, through my church-related advocacy, Mm -hmm. I had met some people who were doing policy work Mm -hmm. and they had a number of different things that they did. And um, so, and I'm thinking particularly of Eileen Pitaway, Mm -hmm. who was at the time the director of the Centre for Refugee Research at UNSW or about to become that, I think, Mm -hmm. when I first joined. And uh, Kerry Goldsmith, who met me through church-related stuff. Mm -hmm. And Velvie Holden, who's in South Australia now, who was the... It was a funded organisation at the time Mm -hmm. and she was the CEO and her husband was a Uniting Church Minister. So, you know, we crossed paths and I crossed paths with a couple of others and then Velvie said to me Mm. one day, we've got got a spot on the board. Are you interested? We'd like to have you on board. And I was was like, oh, no, but, you know, I'm a white woman and I've only just started engaging in this area and I'm not sure what I have to contribute. And she said, no, it's really important that you come on. So I did and Mm. learnt, you know, not only about the lives of refugee women in Australia, but I learnt a lot about policy advocacy Mm. and, of course, it was the start of my learning about governance. Which brings us to our topic. Uh, the I feel like you're the accidental director or the accidental journey to the boardroom. So how did the accident happen? It so happens that when you become a minister in the Uniting Church and especially when you are offered leadership opportunities, as I have been, those opportunities come with responsibilities to get involved in church-based committees and commissions and groups like that. So I became the National Director of Uniting Justice in 2002. Mm -hmm. And as part of my role, I was required to sit on various committees and commissions, one in particular which had significant governance responsibility delegated from the National Council of Churches. And this was what is now known as Act for Peace, which is an international Mm -hmm. aid and development agency. Also, as part of my role, I was engaging with the World Council of Churches and was appointed to some of their commissions and and they had some delegated governance responsibilities as well. So so it was not a plan Mm. to to start engaging in board work or in, in governance work, but as a result of the kind of professional role that I held in the church. So that's why I say it was a, it was a bit of an accident because it wasn't anything that I had really expected or thought too much about. I mean, I think it's 
reasonably common for people to end up on board roles through their work. Mm. My very first board was through my role, not through mm. my professional mm. work rather than separate to that. But it really starts to build that confidence muscle and gives that bit of experience. Can you remember your first board meeting there? What can you remember about your very early days there and even maybe what you learned? That's a, that's a good question. Oh, Acronyms. Ah, yes. <laughs> and, and that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I've joined a, a board, the first meeting and prior to the meeting, reading reading the board packs, mm-hmm. it's just being confronted with all of these acronyms that you've got no idea about. So that was Act for Peace. The other thing that was interesting about it is that at the time it was a representative mm-hmm. body. So on the board were were people who'd been nominated by their churches. You know, mm-hmm. So you had the Greek Orthodox representative, you had the Anglican representative, the Catholic representative. And I think one of my first experiences was realising that on such a representative committee, not everyone has the same kinds of experiences. Now, I know that's true for all boards, but in the case of churches, particularly smaller ones, and they're asking their people to step up. Mm-hmm. And like me, it was my first time experiencing anything really about international aid and development work. Mm-hmm. I was clearly not alone in that. I remember noticing things mm-hmm. like that. The fundraising thing was totally new to me mm-hmm. and the responsibility for the stewardship of money that was donated. Mm. So that was always a key part of the conversation and from the very first meeting it was a a constant issue, you know, are we doing right by the people who've donated money to see this work done? Now, I know you experienced a bit of a dilemma around fundraising and fundraising strategy. I'm not sure if it was that organisation or another one, but what can you tell us about that dilemma? What happened and how was it handled? So it was that organisation and I think I was deputy chair at the time. I did end up being chair of that for two terms. So it was a very, it was a long and amazing association. So, you know, and I think this story is not unusual, but it was a particularly live issue for a church-based agency. So it was at the time we were needing to ramp up our fundraising capacity and one of the most effective fundraising methods at that time, it's not so now, but at that time was the professional organisations that that hire people to stand in the streets and Mm -hmm. sign people on for regular donations. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, you don't see that so much now in COVID times, but yes. uh, but it, it was a widely used strategy by a lot of organisations across mm-hmm. the board. So the proposal was that we engage a firm to do this on behalf of the organisation. The issue for us was that we're there on behalf of our organisations, really, and but more importantly, church members. So the fundraising part of that organisation had been around for decades. Mm -hmm. So church members across different denominations who had engaged with this work and had contributed 
the question for us is, so how would our stakeholders feel mm. if they were confronted in the streets by someone raising money in this way? And what does it mean for a church organisation to raise money for church-based work, although it it was also much broader than that. But what's the perception of that in the community? And also how do church people perceive that kind of approach made on their behalf, Mm. you know, on the streets in community? So the decision that we made was not to go that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was about the perception from the community towards the organisation and potential impacts of that on the perception of how church members Mm. um, would relate to that kind of fundraising activity. I'm interested in how the board had that conversation because I imagine, as with a lot of organisations who chose to do fundraising in that way, it worked. That's why they did it, because it brought in the money. Mm. For your organisation, presumably, those Mm. sorts of figures were in front of you, Mm. but you also, in whatever way, heard the voice of your members. Mm. So I'm interested in the way they, either the voice of the members was heard in the boardroom and the way that conversation played out in the boardroom. Mm. It was around the the values and the Mm. ethos. Mm -hmm. The conversation was, what does this say about who we are, what we do and how we do it? And is that appropriate for us? Knowing that it's appropriate for a whole lot of other Mm -hmm. organisations and there's nothing inherently Mm -hmm. wrong with it or unethical about it or anything like that, but... Does that activity reflect the values that we hold and does it reflect the ethos mm. that our stakeholders expect us to be carrying into the public space? Mm. And I think the concern was about the perception that we might be promoting the organisation rather than promoting the work. Okay. Was the board, I'm sure by the end of the conversation, the board was of one mind, but often there are some quite robust conversations about these things and different views. If that was the case in this one, what was it that then managed to bring that alignment? Mm. Um, there wasn't actually. There, there was a there was alignment on that. So the people that we had to convince were the executive team. Right. <laughs> okay. I was just going to say, well, hang on. If there was alignment, how did it get to the boardroom? It got to the boardroom through the executive team. That's right. Because, you know, they were doing what we'd asked them to do yes. and to bring some proposals for how we could beef up our fundraising. So, mm-hmm. yes. So it was the executive team that we had to co- have the, those conversations with and work through. And as always was the case around that table, honesty and openness Mm. and a direct approach, but never disrespectful or rude. So just knowing that we could have those conversations clearly was really important. So tell me in your experience as chair, Mm. what are some, some lessons you learned in the role as chair? What's different to being the chair of the board versus being on the board? I was much quicker to voice my opinion when mm-hmm. I wasn't the chair. So my approach to being in the chair was to ensure that all the opinions around the table got heard and mm-hmm. that I was open to them. So mm-hmm. I tried to work really hard to leave my, you know, my first response to the answer to a decision needed to be made. You know, I worked really hard to put that aside mm-hmm. and so that I would come with a an open disposition to the conversation that mm-hmm. everyone around the table would be able to contribute to that, that as a chair I would 
helped steer the conversation. So whenever it got blocked or we started going over ground that we'd been over many times before, you know, finding good ways and constructive ways of moving conversations on as well. There was so it's that direction to the meeting that helps support people to be able to make their contribution and to listen to others and to come to a consensus decision mm. about things. Absolutely. Was there a conscious choice around consensus yes. decision making? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. there is. And one of the things that I learned in being a minister in the United Church, but also if you're an engaged member of the Uniting Church, the decision making process is consensus decision making and, and you know, we have a manual for meetings that mm-hmm. that people know how to use, but it is decisions might get forced to a vote, but the aim is always to reach a consensus. Mm. I mean, that's just part of who I am now, and it's certainly part of um, a lot of church decision-making processes around the world. And in fact, the Uniting Church has been a leader in that and has taken that process to both big ecumenical groups like the World Council of Churches and other global Mm. uh, faith-based institutions. Interesting. Okay. One of the things I noticed when I was working for a Uniting Care organisation as well about, well, at least about Uniting Care governance and I think in other organisations similarly, that there is always the opening of the meeting is a reflection Mm. as well. Can you talk us through what sometimes happens there and, and what you saw as the value there? Yeah, I really like this practice and in church-only meetings, it usually centres around a reading from from the Bible. So you, you might read one of the parables or, you know, one of the stories and whoever's leading the reflection would then just talk about that in relation to what was going to be happening in, in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, the Uniting New South Wales ACT board does the same Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily a a Christian reflection often it's based on some other material that what that board member has read and has been thinking about particularly in as I said in relation to what business we're going to be addressing that day or some sort of bigger ongoing issues and I think the value of it is that it it brings everyone together around questions of values and mission and purpose and ethos and sets a reflective frame for the meeting. And I think that's a very powerful way Mm. to begin rather than kind of straight into the business ticking off stuff. Mm. So, you know, my experience is that when you start a meeting like that, even if it's not a church-based meeting, that people appreciate it because it does set that thoughtful, reflective foundation for the conversations that are going to happen. And the other thing that particularly if it's a if it's a very fine reflection, what you can find happening is that people will refer to it throughout the meeting. Mm, yes. Yeah, it's it's certainly something I noticed. It's a really lovely way to open meetings. I'm not a member of the church, but I, it's a reflective practice. It's almost like a meditation mm. sometimes. And I think it really focuses the mind and prepares you for the meeting. I think it's a beautiful practice. It doesn't happen in enough board meetings. <laughs> yes, I would heartily recommend it. Okay, so so the, the accidental journey of Eleni Poulos from finding yourself on that first board... Yeah 
for women refugees, working through Act for Peace, working through some of the challenges there, now on a couple of other boards as well. What's next in the journey? I'm keen to expand some board work. This was a bit of of a surprise to me. The more I engaged in governance work, the more I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I love it for a number of reasons. One is that uh, I'm a bit of a big picture person, I think. I like to approach my work kind of looking at the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So systems, structures, processes and how they get worked through to what happens on the ground in order to make a positive difference in the lives of people. So Mm -hmm. I love being in a position where, where as a board member part of your role is to support the operation of the organisation in such a way that staff are encouraged and feel safe enough and are enabled and they have the right resources Mm -hmm. around them to do the work that they're there to do. Those things I I really love about it. And the other thing that really engages me is the the team decision making. Mm -hmm. And now that I I don't work full time in an organisation and I spend quite a bit of time at home at my desk, particularly in those years when I was working full-time on my PhD, that opportunity to work on a team as a member of a team to come to a shared decision. I love that process when it's done well. I knew this would happen. It always goes way too quickly. So what are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? The story of the importance of values and mission and ethos and culture Everyone in the governance community is talking about this stuff Mm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, We have no excuse for knowing how badly things go when organisations, not-for-profits and corporates alike, lose track of their their purpose Mm. and their mission and their culture and their ethos and that conversations around these things have to happen across the range of issues that boards deal with. So that's one thing. The other thing, I think picking up on the the beginning with a reflection, I think the value of shared story in order to help build a positive and open board culture is something that I I think we don't talk about very much Mm. and, and that we could make much more of. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? The St James Ethics Centre has a video on um, fundraising dilemmas that is really excellent. It was done a couple of years ago just after the big fuss around the the Sydney Biennale Uh. when some of the artists Mm -hmm. uh, in the Biennale objected to the sponsorship by Transfield. Mm -hmm. So it has a number of people talking about their their experiences of that, but also people like Wesley Enoch talking about fundraising uh, for the Sydney Sydney Festival Mm -hmm. and the complexities of, for example, accepting money from an alcohol company when you're trying to raise Indigenous arts and all of that that kind of stuff. Really worthwhile. It's about 10 minutes and it doesn't have the answers, but if you're thinking about these things, it's a a really good resource Mm. to help frame some of the questions and and maybe some of the, you know, the discussions that you might have around it. Fantastic. I'll make sure we put a link to that in the show notes. I haven't seen that one myself, so I'll make sure I have a look at it and, yeah, we'll put put that in the show notes. 
Oh, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing part of your accidental journey and part of the wisdom that you've learnt over your time of being in the boardroom. So, yeah, thank you for being with us here today and sharing. Oh, thanks, Helia. It's been fun and it's been great to talk to you again. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation. Hi folks, it's Helia. This is an end of episode announcement, even though I suspect not many of you are actually still listening. In fact, if you are still listening, how about you just let me know? Uh, because, you know, if no one's listening, why would I bother with these end of ep announcements? Anyway, the announcement. If you're in Queensland or more specifically on the Sunshine Coast and if you'd love to come and catch up with others from the Take On Board community and who wouldn't love that, you are invited to the Noosa Take On Board event. It'll be held on Thursday the 13th of May. Yes, it's only two weeks away. Details are in the Take On Board Facebook group or on LinkedIn or just get in touch and I'll let you know where we're going. I'm not trying to be too mysterious about it. I just don't know where it's going to be yet. So if you've got suggestions for somewhere lovely for this to happen in Noosa, I'd love to hear that too. Hope to see you there. Or if you're not in Queensland, well, we'll see you back here next week for the next Take On Board episode.